Hello, and welcome back to the second episode of the HSAC podcast. For those of you that don't know, we are the Harvard College Sports Analytics Collective, a group of undergraduate students dedicated to the quantitative and statistical analysis of sports. We break down the numbers and advance metrics behind all your favorite teams and players, trying to bring useful insights to the game. I'm David Arco, a freshman at Harvard College, and today I am lucky to be joined by three great guests and fellow HSAC members, Ella Papanik, Danny Blumenthal, and Tucker Boynton. On this episode, we will be previewing the Super Bowl 55 matchup between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs. This is a continuation from our very first episode in which we discussed the AFC and NFC Championship games. Now to introduce our guest, Ella is a past president of HSAC and is currently a senior studying statistics. This season, she has been working in the Cleveland Browns Research and Strategy Department, helping them end their 18-year playoff drought. Prior to joining the Browns, her research focused on draft behavior and betting algorithms. In addition to sports, she is also the captain of the Harvard chess team and enjoys examining chess from a statistical perspective. You can follow her on her Twitter at ChexMatrix. That's C-H-E-X Matrix. Danny is also a past president of HSAC and is currently a senior studying psychology and economics. He's written an abundance of analytical articles ranging from the NFL draft to fantasy football to analyzing MLB and NBA payroll efficiency. You can check out all of his articles on our blog at harvardsportsanalysis.org. Tucker is currently a junior studying economics. He recently founded NFLindex.com, a web app for searching the NFL FastR play-by-play database. He has also announced Harvard football, hockey, and basketball games for the student radio. He was also a student manager for the Harvard hockey team. You can follow him on Twitter at Tucker underscore TNL and check out his new website and database at NFLindex.com. Hope you enjoy this episode. Now we have the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The spread is currently at three points. The over-under is 56 and a half points. 538 gives the Chiefs a 53% chance of winning. This is actually interesting because these two teams already faced off in the regular season back in week 12, and the Chiefs defeated the Buccaneers 27 to 24. But the score is a little misleading because the Chiefs were, I think, were leading by three scores. I think it was 27 to 10 heading into the fourth quarter. So the score is not necessarily as close as it seems. In that game, Patrick Mahomes was 37 for 49, passing for 462 yards and three touchdowns all of which were to Tyreek Hill, who had 13 receptions for 269 yards. And of course, those three touchdowns. This was Hill's career record for most receiving yards in a game. And on the opposite side of the ball, Tom Brady was 27 for 41 passing for 345 yards and three touchdowns. Mahomes had a QBR of 91, second highest for him of the season. Brady had a QBR of 61. And interestingly, 13 of the 55 Super Bowls have featured matchups that also took place in the regular season and other teams that won the regular season matchup six went on to win the super bowl six out of 13 and the regular season losers won seven out of 13 times so it doesn't seem like there's too much you know significance in winning the regular season translating the super bowl granted it's a small sample size but still so this leads into my question for ella so how much weight should we place on prior matchups when considering the super bowl and then and follow up to that is how does that factor into bookmakers calculating the spread and the odds for the game? Yeah, so if we look at the spread, it definitely reflects the previous game, the three-point spread. The previous game was decided by three points. The over-under is 56.5 right now, which is 
significantly higher than I think the other game was 51. And I think that's something you typically see with Super Bowls is that over-unders tend to be inflated because you have a lot more inexperienced money in the market. And, and I guess the hands that are wagering that money are, are people who are interested in seeing a high-scoring game. So I would say the, the way that a prior matchup feeds into a Super Bowl matchup is different than the way that a prior matchup feeds into a second matchup in that season or even potentially a second matchup in the playoffs. The Super Bowl is definitely a different type of game. You will see more risky plays. You'll see things from coaches that you wouldn't typically see. It's it's kind of that moment where coaches are ready to unleash everything that they have in their bag. And I would say that you don't tend to see that in a regular season game. And so given that this matchup was in the second half of the season, I do think that it's reasonable to to draw on it and and use that to inform the way that we view the Super Bowl, I think. If it were in the early parts of the season, week five and earlier, it, it might have, it, it would have a significantly lower impact on the way that we view the Super Bowl. But I guess one thing to think about as well, which we've never encountered before, is that the Bucks will be having home field advantage. And that's not something we've encountered in the Super Bowl before. And it's, it is something that's going to be interesting specifically this year. Typically, home field advantage is worth approximately three points in the, in the spread. I've seen various analyses of what it's worth this season, which most of them seem to range between one and two, but I'm not sure if that number will change throughout the Super Bowl. And I think that's an area where the odds provided by different books tend to vary is on the value that they perceive or that they attach to home field advantage this year. So that's definitely something that's going to be interesting to follow as the odds change. As Ella mentioned, uh, home field advantage, obviously that's something unique about this year's Super Bowl. But in the past, it's, it's not as if all the fans are going to be Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans and they're not going to be able to make it super loud and force Patrick Mahomes into a silent count. So that could potentially mitigate the effects of home field advantage. And in addition, as Ella mentioned, because home field advantage has been going down a little bit this year, potentially only being worth maybe one, maybe two points, it might not make as big a difference in the spread as it might have been if the Bucs had held a Super Bowl back in uh, 2002 when they won last time. Yeah, I'm not sure who wrote the paper, but there was a great analysis of home field advantage and lack thereof in betting lines in NFL historically, and that home favorites are often inflated because people like to bet home favorites. And obviously, I think the line, it's what, minus the, 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 uh, the Chiefs are minus one last time I checked on an ELO model. But I could be wrong. I don't know what other books have. Um, what's that? 538 has Chiefs at 53%. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. Yeah. But yeah, so I think it's it's interesting because it's, it's sort of this battle of, you know, markets will tend to equalize. But at the same time, you have bookmakers who are making strategic decisions around the lines themselves to be on sort of the right side of where, where they're getting most of their money. So that's an interesting dynamic. And I think... The Super Bowl is essentially a corporate event. It's not really, it'll probably be even more so this year than in past years just because access is so restricted. But yeah, in the past, like 
it's it, the environment of the Super Bowl is just it's just so different than like a regular season game because of the kinds of people that are attending because of the price of the tickets. And so just, yeah, I, I don't see home field advantage playing a big role here. I, I've looked at some stuff from this season. I think Moo over at PFF did something on declining home field advantage this season that it's actually like it's, it's gotten smaller and smaller as the season's gone on. So I, I really don't see home field playing a big role here other than maybe trying to sucker people into putting money on the bucks because there's some believed edge to be playing near home, I, especially with the technology and the kinds of places that these players are staying away from home. You know, maybe in the early 2000s or the, the 80s or the 90s, it was significant because you couldn't get all the same things away from home that you used to be able to. But today, I, I just don't really see it playing a big role in affecting the actual outcome of the game. Yeah, definitely interesting to see like if it does have an impact. And Tucker mentioned that there was, I think the 538 ELO spread is is minus one. So I guess this factors up into kind of a follow-up question. So obviously, like the, the Buccaneers were the five seed going to the playoffs. The Chiefs are the one seed. And the Buccaneers were not the favorite, probably not even the second favorite coming out of the NFC. And if 538 had probably done their ELO spread for them to face off at the beginning of the playoffs, it would not have been 53% Chiefs. They would have been much heavier favorites. So how does beating like the Buccaneers recent success, beating the Saints and now the Packers, how does that factor into 538 kind of like bumping down the odds of the Chiefs bumping it up of the Buccaneers? I don't know the details of how 538 makes their model, but ELO was updated through a Bayesian process and they are not manually intervening. So if a matchup occurs that seems or that would influence us like from a more human perspective into update into updating more significantly than their model does they don't they don't do that intervention but i will say i think people often discount the degree to which a team can change over the course of a season and that's something that's especially significant this season with the absence of preseason and and shortened training camp um, i think that the teams have a, a lot more teams are gaining cohesion as the season progressed. And I think that's something that we may not have observed as significantly in other seasons, um, just because these are players who are playing together for the first time, especially like consider with the Bucks. you know, Tom Brady has an entirely new receiving core, um, an entirely new offensive line. And so those kind of adjustments are things that will continue, continue to improve over the course of the season. And I think that that could partially be a reason to explain like what we're seeing currently with the rise of the Bucks. Yeah, Ella brings up a great point about continuity. Uh, I think going back to Buffalo, I think that's one reason why they excelled this year. They had essentially everybody everybody came back, plus they added Stefan Diggs. So they had a bunch of continuity, and that helped them along the way. And vice versa, I think that might be something that's hurting the Chiefs a little bit heading into the Super Bowl is their injuries along the offensive line. Even with the week off extra in, right before for the Super Bowl, uh, it's still tough to have that cohesion without Eric Fisher and all the injuries along the offensive line. So they could be in trouble against a pretty fearsome Buccaneers pass rush. Yeah, I think it's also a, it's a subtle point, but it's an important one. Just distinguishing between in in one scenario, downweighting games that happened a longer time ago, and in a second scenario considering that as the season goes on, you just simply have a larger sample size because it's going to tell full picture in a, in a more complete way than does say eight games at the beginning of the season. Now you have 19 games for, well, 18 for the chiefs because of the bye, but 19 games for each of these teams essentially to have a more complete picture. So yeah, I guess in my mind, the 
because because things are so matchup dependent in a lot of situations and it's not it's not like baseball you know risking going on a tangent here the one of the great things about baseball is that from a statistical perspective every sort of steady state is the same the objective of both players in each situation is the same in football strategy and approach just are so fluid based on the situation and based on opponents that I think the recent success of the Bucks, in addition to showing us that they can beat good teams, you know, I think they had, the big stat coming out of the regular season was they were, I think, one and five against playoff teams or something like that. And now they're three and oh, and so it's all noise. And in addition to showing us that they can beat good teams, providing a more holistic picture um, statistically, of what the identity of that team really is and the strengths and weaknesses, because obviously things get more accurate with, with a larger sample size. And I think that's, that's another big piece of having more data points with both of these teams. Going along with what Tucker's saying, the Buccaneers, even though their record wasn't, wasn't as good, even though they only had the five seed, their underlying metrics were pretty good. I know football outsiders, DVOA rated them as one of the best teams in the league. And like Tucker brought up the one in five record against playoff teams, but a bunch of those losses were pretty close games. They lost to the Rams by three. They lost to the Bears by one point. The Kansas City game, like we mentioned, was only a three-point game in the end. And so even though the Bucks lost those games, they might have been a little bit better than their record said. And I think as the season's gone on, as they've gotten as they've played more games, as we've gotten a bigger sample size, we've seen them reach reach their potential. Yeah, I think one other point I guess I'd like to make about uh, ELO-based models is that they fail to capture the matchups. So, you know, I think in this particular game, matchups are going to play a huge role. Like, can the Chiefs' offensive line hold up against the Bucks' pass rush? You know, can the Chiefs' secondary hold up against the Bucks' wide receivers? Those matchups are going to play a huge role, and those also are partially responsible for the Bucks' success in the playoffs is that they had some advantageous matchups against the teams they faced. And so I think that's that's something to consider, not just sort of like a, a broader metric of entire team strength, but strength of the team's individual parts. And and building off of that, I think it was um, who was it that mentioned this? Aaron Schatz, I think, mentioned this about the Chiefs being so unique in the in the, and everybody loves to use the cliche of like, especially with you know basketball teams that have LeBron James on them, with like coasting to the playoffs and then turning it on. And I think a lot of people rightfully believe that's kind of bogus because the idea that you can modulate your intensity or your effort from, you know, a hundred percent to 85% for the remaining four games of the season, because you're in a good situation. I just don't think that that's necessarily a big factor, but with the chiefs, you have seen how good they've been in recent weeks. And you wonder maybe the ELO models, you know, that consider, the same sorts of things from earlier games in the season when they were not playing as well um, and have now kind of gelled or turned it on or whatever you want to say that perhaps the ELO model underrates them a little bit because you were, you were taking a picture of pretty much a different team. And I think the same could be said about the Bucks, but the Chiefs especially just have been on an absolute tear really since the start of the playoffs uh, in a way that we didn't really see or necessarily expect during the regular season. You're talking about underlying metrics, Danny. That I think the Bucks were number two in the PFF regular season rankings, despite being a five seed in the NFC. The Chiefs were, I think, like the eighth best team. So it was sort of the opposite story. The Chiefs finishing with a 14-2 and two record, but maybe their underlying metrics for the regular season weren't necessarily as good as that 14-2 and two record. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's all very interesting. I think Ella brought up a point about about matchups in this game, so that'll get into my next question for Danny. So you're an expert kind of – or you wrote that Bills article on these that are their receiving cores and things like that. So between these two teams, which team has a better supporting cast? Is it Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, and we can't forget about uh, Harvard alum Cameron Brait, class of 2014. Or is it the Chiefs with uh, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, and McCole Hartman? Which of these receiving cores would you rather have? Particularly in this matchup, I would be leaning towards the Chiefs. As much as, much as I love Cameron Brait, uh, Travis Kelsey is an otherworldly tight end, and he can pick apart uh, the Buccaneers' zone defense. I think in the last game in Week 12, there was a stat that said that Travis Kelsey, of all, all eight of Travis Kelsey's eight catches came against zone coverage. And if the Buccaneers sit back and play zone, then Patrick Mahomes will be able to have all day to pick them apart and find, find his tight end. And on the flip side, if they try to press and blitz and put Mahomes under pressure, he's one of the best in the league against the blitz. So I would lean, I would lean towards the Chiefs, Chiefs supporting cast in this case. As good as Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and company are, Chiefs have an experienced secondary, as we talked about when we were discussing the AFC Championship, and the Chiefs' versatility on offense is just just too good. That's a great point. I guess also what I would kind of follow up to ask, and Eller Tucker, either of you can take this, is would you rather have, say, three or four receivers who are all pretty good or have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey who are just elite, so like top-heavy or have like more receiving options, but not necessarily kind of that elite level. So which would you rather have? I think it depends what kind of a secondary you're facing. I guess if you know that you're facing a secondary of uniform strength, I think having imbalances in the strength of your receivers is more effective because you can kind of find some, someone to target and you can weight your offense towards one side of the field and really go after uh, certain corners. And I think that, you have more potential for high variance plays that way. If you know that you're facing uh, a secondary with a particular weakness, then if you have uniformity among your receivers, you know which corner you're going after every time or, or which safety you're targeting. And so I think it, it would vary depending on the secondary. I guess what I would say as far as this particular comparison uh, Travis Kelsey and, and Tyreek Hill are just so much better than anybody else at their position. But I'm not sure there's a situation where I would choose like a receiving core over the two of them. You know, what we're seeing out of those two in terms of opening up opportunities for other receivers on the field as well is like, it can't be overstated. And in the, in that way, I think that actually having receivers like that on the field can enhance the uh, effectiveness of receivers that are closer to the median. And you see that with McCole Hardman. Then that's no knock against Hardman, but I don't think he would be having the sort of opportunities and space to run that he does if he were playing in another offense or, you know, who is it? Byron Pringle, I think also playing in that offense or the backs that have so much space to run. I, I just think that is a very real thing is, is attentional deficit towards other options when you have to pay such careful attention to someone like Tyreek Hill. When you have to have two two players on the field designated to one guy, that creates a mismatch somewhere else. And so for that reason, I would take the Chiefs receiving core over the Bucks. 
Yeah, that's definitely a point that you brought up that scene in all sports, you know, basketball too. You got a double team of player that's going to open up someone else. So it's a great point you made there. So I guess I'll go back to you on this one, Tucker. But so what is one or two, one or two things that each team should do from like a, since you have like kind of a schematic background, like what's one or two things that each team should do to put themselves in the best situation to win? Not necessarily something simple like, oh, the Chiefs should target Travis Kelsey, which they do all the time, but something more like schematic or analytically focused. Yeah. So first of all, when I heard this question, the first thing I thought about was this tweet from someone at PFF named Eric Eager, who said <laughs> he was he was talking about the the quote from the Bills about needing to improve their running game in order to beat the Chiefs next time. And he caught a lot of flack for it because obviously everyone likes to say, you know, the running game is way overstated, yada, yada, yada. But this tweet I thought was funny and actually very true that the idea, really the only way to beat the Chiefs in their current, you know, iteration is by scoring a ton of points and then catching some noise. And so like some sort of, particularly with the Chiefs offense, you need you need Patrick Mahomes to throw a couple of picks. You need you need some noise, some fluky bounces. That's just the only way you're going to beat this team. They're just so high powered. But specifically schematically, I think Tampa needs to all but entirely abandon the run on early downs. There is a place in the game for run plays. It's not on first and 10 and it's definitely not on second and 10. I looking at what they did last week was one of the all-time late down performances from an offense. And there's a lot of good data that shows that unless your name is Patrick Mahomes, that has a lot of noise in it and is not generally replicable. So just from a sort of play calling perspective, I think approaching the game like you need to control the clock and keep Mahomes off the field and run the football is, is not going to be enough. I was looking at their time of possession this season and how it is essentially uncorrelated with the number of points they end up with. They they had the ball for something like 20 minutes in their lowest possession game and they scored 33 points. So the idea that you can just sort of grind it out and and run the football is is not, in my view, a blueprint that's going to be effective more often than a blueprint that features your strength, which is throwing the football. They've had a great passing attack all year. Obviously, Brady was great on late down situations last week. He altered a little bit in the second half, threw some picks, maybe not as costly as the three three uh, touchdown to interception, uh, interception ratio would suggest. But still, um, I think you need to you need to stick with your bread and butter. Obviously, you're probably not going to run the ball zero times on early downs, but it's much more efficient from a statistical standpoint to be throwing the football um, on the Chiefs' side of the ball. This is a bit cliche, but it, it is so true um, about getting pressure against Brady. If, if we've learned anything the last few weeks, it's that even though he's 43, if you don't put pressure on him, it's just pitch and catch. And it's that easy for him. Um, if he can pick it apart and have the time to tap, tap, find his receiver, if that's his third reader, his fourth read, even you know, it's over. You, you, you have to force him into bad decisions. He's just too smart and too savvy at this point in his career. So however you have to do that by sending rushers and, and having success, you know, beating that good Buccaneers offensive line, I think pressure on the quarterback has to be a paramount thing. And then obviously the Chiefs offense just doing what they do and have been doing for the past several weeks. So I'd say for the, for the Chiefs, it's sending extra rushers. Brady is historically really good against the Blitz. 
this season and last, he has not been as good. I don't know if that's an age thing. I, I don't know exactly sort of, you know, what the explanation is there, but he hasn't been as good against pressure in the past few seasons as he was earlier in his career. And then I think if you're the Bucks, you need to emphasize the passing game, especially on early downs, because they just threw away so many downs, um, handing the ball off last week, I thought. And, you know, the EPA shows that. And you should save your runs, in my opinion, for short yardage situations, um, goal line situations. There are times when running the ball can be more effective or make more sense from an expected value uh, situation than passing the ball in my mind is not on especially second and 10. I think you need to really be thinking about scoring points and hoping that you catch some noise on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on emphasizing the passing attack for both of these teams. I think throughout the season, they've definitely exhibited pass heavy tendencies. I think the Chiefs have, have passed 68% of the time and the Bucks 64% of the time, which are both significantly above league average. And I think that that a lot of their success is attributable to those tendencies. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up the tweet here, but Ben Baldwin in in his NFL Fast Star uh, program does sort of a pass rate over expected, and the Chiefs led the league. I know that. I'm not sure exactly where the Bucks ranked, but even relative to expected, while you know, obviously pass rate alone is is a pretty good indicator of a of play calling tendencies. But if I can find it. I can give you the exact stats, but the bottom line is that even relative to what other teams would be expected to do in those situations. So, you know, if you're a team that's facing a lot of second, third and long, you're probably going to have a high pass rate, but even relative to those other teams, the chiefs and bucks are, are just passing the ball a ton. Yeah, definitely. So this last question for this segment, you've been talking a lot about analytics on the field, but sometimes I like to take a step back and talk about the analytics of the analytics. So of these two teams, I'll start with you, Danny. Which would you say is the more analytically savvy team and for what reason? I mean, I think Tucker and Ella hit it right on the head. Kansas City is a little bit more analytically inclined. They pass the ball a lot more often, like Tucker said, compared to what we would expect. Kansas City ranks second in the league in early down pass rate over expected, uh, 11% more often, whereas the Bucks also also pass more often, but not not nearly as high as Kansas City. And I think another thing that is especially analytically focused is identifying quarterbacks and building around them. And while Tampa Bay has done that this year in particular, that's obviously been a struggle in the past, particularly getting themselves in positions where they might be under duress and their decision-making on third down, where they have to rely on a quarterback and, to build them out. And if you, don't, if you don't have the preparation to do that, like they have, haven't had in past years, they're going to get burned, especially over the past few years. Kansas City has definitely been ahead of the game. And then one final point I would make in terms of Kansas City's favor is their ability to go for it on fourth down. As we saw, sorry to bring this up, but uh, Kansas City was quite good on fourth down when they beat the Browns. They caught everyone off guard as Tony Romo was very surprised, but they caught everybody off guard going for it on fourth down to win the game in that sense. So I would, I would lean towards Kansas city being more analytically savvy compared to Tampa Bay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Danny hits, hits a lot of really good points there. Another thing that I caution against, and this is like as much for myself as it is for the general discourse around these sorts of things is the bias that we get from quarterbacks. So 
to a certain degree, it's easy to pass a lot on early downs and go for lots of fourth downs when Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback. And so I, I don't really know what the proper way to contextualize that is, aside from saying that high early down pass rates may not be optimal if the strength of your team is in the offensive line and you don't have a good quarterback. So I don't think it's like a blanket solution to say throwing the football more often is the analytically savvy you know, approach. I think it's a complicated issue, but I generally do agree with Danny. I just think it's so hard for us to you know, have any sort of analysis of these coaches. And I, and I mean coaches generally in the NFL because what they're working with is so different, right? It's easy to be like, oh, wow, you know, Andy Reid is so forward thinking and approaches the game sort of the right, more the right way than a lot of coaches from a statistical perspective. But it's also like easy for him to be in that position given the personnel that he has. So I don't know. I mean, Josh Hermsmeyer at 538 had a great piece on fourth down decision making, um, how Andy Reid actually gets more aggressive in the playoffs. And yeah, I, I guess I just think it, I agree with what Danny's saying. I also would say it's a more complicated issue when you sort of start to consider personnel. Because, for example, I'm a Patriots fan. The Patriots had the lowest pass rate over expected this season. Generally, would I have liked to see them open it up a little bit more for Cam Newton? Sure. I'm still not sure that positive pass rate over expected would have been optimal for this offense, given the way that Cam was playing. So I think it's just complicated in that sense. But yeah, I mean, the Chiefs have now been organizationally at the front of that push on measures like fourth down decision-making, in-game two-point conversion decision-making. I think, what is it, Edge Sports does a ranking around basically in-game decisions for coaches. They have sort of like the coach power rankings, which are a mix of team performance and specific like big swing decisions. And I don't know where Arians ranks on that, but it's below Reed because I think Reed was second this year. So, Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the decision-making of both Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy is typically in line with what analytics would dictate, but it's, it's difficult to say that it's analytically motivated for sure. Just, just like disentangling those factors, right? Like we have, from a public perspective, obviously, we have all these models that tell us what is or isn't optimal according to some set of factors. And as much as you may or may not believe in those models, you don't really know what's going on in the decision-making process for a lot of these teams. So it could be possible that they have other models and they're saying different things. And that's why, you know, Twitter hates, you know, the fourth down decisions of some team, but it is like, you know, how, how do you separate having Patrick Mahomes from just like being a smart analytical coach? I would open it up. I'd let Patrick Mahomes throw if I were a head coach and I'm not nearly qualified to be a head coach. So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting discussion. Yeah. You guys all hit on the point I was going to make at the end. Is Andy Reid, is he just Mahomes savvy? Is he analytically savvy? The end result at the end of the day is he's savvy, but we don't know which one it is. But yeah, so that concludes our long question segment. And now we will get into just the final, I call it rapid fire over under, I guess. So I'm going to throw out a stat or something for this game. And you can just say over or under and just give like a brief, keep it short, like one to two sentence reasoning. So first up, we have, will Tom Brady throw for over or under 350 yards? For reference, he's averaged 315 yards per game in his nine Super Bowls. I'll go ahead and start it off. Uh, I'll go over on this one for two reasons. One, he's playing the Chiefs, much more likely to be a shootout, more passing. 
So I think that's one reason. And two, they might get behind early, and that means you no know, abandoning the run and having to pass a lot, a lot more yards. So I'm going to go over on that one. I'll also go over. I know you mentioned he's only averaged 315 uh, in the Super Bowls in the past, but especially in more recent years, as as he's taken on more responsibility, as he's gotten better, his numbers have gone up. Uh, so I'll go over here, over 350 yards for Tom Brady. I'll go under. I think the Chiefs' coverage has been in- improving over the past few games, and 350 is a pretty big number. I think most of the books that I've seen have it closer to 300, so for that reason, I'll go under. I'm also going to go under. You saw what they did to MVP candidate Josh Allen, only threw for 287, and as Ella said, 350 is a pretty big number. But I don't know. I, I could see it going over if it really gets into a shootout. But I, if I had to bet on it, I would, I would take the under as well. Yeah, that's this leads to the opposite side of the ball, kind of a, a big stat. Well, Patrick Holmes throw for three and a half touchdowns. So the reason three and a half, because three seems plausible. So three would be under, four would be over. I'm going to go under on this one. Just four touchdowns is a lot to ask, but it's Patrick Mahomes. Anything can happen, but I'm going to go under. I'll go under as well. Uh, like David mentioned uh, for, the, for the last stat, even, even if it's a shootout, I think Kansas City's probably going to be ahead at the beginning and they'll start to run the ball a little bit more. So Mahomes might not have enough chances to throw for four plus TDs. Yeah, I'll go under on this one as well. Um, I think he's averaged somewhere around two and a half over the course of the season. So that would lean towards under. And then I also think in, in the Super Bowl, you're more likely to see trick plays, which might not necessarily be passing touchdowns. I, again, I hate to be the conservative offense guy, but three, three and a half touchdowns is a pretty high number, even for Mahomes. I wouldn't be surprised if they go over three and a half offensive touchdowns, but who knows what they're going to go with around the goal line. And so I'm going to take the under as well. All right. Now, next up we have will the Buccaneers rush for over a the whole Buccaneers team will they rush for over a hundred, a hundred rushing yards. So for reference, they average 94 yards per game in the regular season. I'm going to go under on this one for the same reason that I went over on Tom Brady. It's more likely that the Bucks are going to get down early, going to have to pass the ball and abandon the run. So I'm going to go under. I'll go under as well. I saw a stat that said the highest number of rushing yards projected for one of the Buccaneers players, something around 45, and which was one of the lowest uh, in any Super Bowl in the past. So I don't think they'll be able to all combine for over 100 yards. Yeah, I'm close on this one, but I will go with under, I think. The Bucs are a team where you don't see a lot of screens and design runs. And I think typically if we're just expecting the rushing yards to come from standard run plays, I don't think that we would necessarily get to hundred. Although I, I do think this is probably my, my most iffy of, of the predictions. Yeah. I, I hope it doesn't go over. I, I want them to let Brady throw the ball. I think it's our best chance to win. I am going to go under as well. I don't know. Given the, the character of the game, it seems unlikely that they're going to be running the ball a whole lot, but wouldn't put anything past Bruce Arians, so we'll see. Next up, we have another kind of explosive stat. Will Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey combine for over 200 yards? Obviously, in the last in the week 12 matchup, Tyreek Hill had 269 yards alone. I'm going to go with over on this one. You have two possible options to kind of rack up a lot of yards. Probably both of them won't have 100-yard receiving games, but probably most likely one of them will. So I'm going to go over on this one. I'll also take the over here. I think in the Super Bowl with everything on the line, uh, Mahomes might lean towards using his security blankets more than spreading it out to some of the lesser receivers. And so I'll take the over for Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. I'll also take the over. I think – 
those are some of the most consistent and reliable players in the entire NFL. And I think the most of the books have them combining for somewhere around 180 or 190, but I think those are designed to sort of split split the money. And so if you have them combined, you're more likely to see one of them go over. Yeah, I, I can't really see how it would be a positive expected value bet to to take the under here. So I'll take the over. All right, now this one's not really an over and under, but what is one like X factor player on each team? Obviously, you can't choose Mahomes or Brady, and not even someone like a, a Mike Evans or Chris Godwin or Tyreek Hill, but some kind of X factor player on each team. So I guess I'll start for the Chiefs. I'm gonna go with we were talking a lot about the Chiefs secondary. I'm gonna go with Tyree Matthew. Either he can force you know kind of a big play, a fumble, uh, interception, or just kind of we've seen you know Mike Evans break down the sideline for one of those long passes at Tom Brady, just being able to contain that and kind of keep the Bucks out of the game. And then for the Buccaneers, I'm going to do a little bit of a not a cop out, but kind of combine two players, both veteran players with Super Bowl experience. I'm going to go with uh, Gronkowski and Antonio Brown. Not like either of them are going to have a big game, but I'm looking for like one or two plays that make a big difference, whether it's Antonio Brown getting a huge long reception when the Bucks are down and kind of need a breakthrough or Gronkowski pulling down kind of a clutch touchdown in the end zone on third and goal or something like that. But I think one of these two players is going to have a, a big impact in that way. I'll go with uh, Shaq Barrett for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like we've talked about, I think the, the pass rush is really, really Tampa Bay's key to, key to having a chance. They need to create some noise, need to create some variance and get Mahomes uncomfortable before he can settle in and jump out to a big lead. And for the Chiefs, I think, think a similar thing is true. They need to get Tom Brady under duress, need to get some pressure on him so he can't settle in. And so my X factor is Chris Jones. I was going to say Chris Jones as well. I think, yeah, getting pressure on, on Brady is essential for the Chiefs' success. And I think he's definitely the, the prime way to do that. For the Bucks, I'll go with Scotty Miller. I think he's been quietly consistent for the whole season. And his speed is something that largely goes unrecognized, but is extremely impressive. And so I think he has the potential to make some big plays. Yeah. So for the Bucks, in the same sort of vein of keeping Brady clean, I think I'm going to go with Tristan Wirfs, their first round pick has been really, really good anchoring that offensive line uh, as a tackle all year. And I think he needs to have a big game and sort of stopping Chris Jones, stopping other pass rushers who might be coming his way to keep Brady clean. For the Chiefs, this is kind of a tough one because I would imagine that the Stars are going to dominate the game. I like the Chris Jones pick a lot. And I also like the Tyron Matthew pick. Um, But I'm going to go with McCole Hardman because I think there's a chance that – one of the sort of tertiary receivers on the Chiefs is going to have an opportunity to make a big play at some point in the game just because so much attention is being paid to Kelsey and Hill. And so I'm, I'm picking Hardman. I wouldn't be surprised if it, were, if it was another player, but I, I think someone's going to get a big target in a late down situation where, you know, eventually there's just so much attention being paid to these two studs that the ball goes elsewhere and they're going to have to make a big play. All right, and for the last one, we'll keep analytically focused. How many fourth down conversion attempts will there be in this game? For reference, so far in the playoffs, there have been 28 in the postseason out of 12 games, so that's about two and a half per game. I'm going to be a little ambitious here. I'm going to say at least five fourth down conversion attempts. You know, are we including gar- uh, are we including garbage time here? Like, can we get a win probability cap on it so it's not desperation fourth downs, or is this just all fourth downs? Uh, I'll leave that up to you. You can qualify it, but I'm going to say 
for me, for me, five is, is including garbage time. Mainly the reason is the Bucks are going to probably have to go for it because they know they need to score touchdowns, not field goals to stay in it with Patrick Mahomes. So if that comes down to a fourth and short and they're deciding whether to kick a field goal or go for it, they're probably going to be more inclined to go for it in, in this case. So I'll go at least five fourth down conversion attempts. I'll, I'll say four. I, I also agree. I think it's going to be larger than the average in the past. I think as, as someone brought up earlier, Andy Reid has become much more aggressive come postseason time, and the Chiefs are going to go for it a couple times in regular part of the game. And then come garbage time, Tampa Bay is going to might, – might need to be chasing the game, might need to take some risks and go for it in fourth down. I'll go with two. Uh, I think both of these teams have lower a lower number of fourth down attempts uh, over the course of the season than the typical team, which partially is a result of them being big play offenses, and you don't just you just don't get into situations like that as much. But I think Tampa has the fewest fourth down attempts in the NFC in the regular season, and the Chiefs are definitely down there uh, in the AFC as well. Their their reliance on big plays is something you see specifically looking at like the percentage of plays that generate positive EPA. And you can see that for these teams, there's not actually a high percentage of plays that generate positive EPA, except they still manage to maintain consistently high average EPA per play. Just thinking about it that way, when you have explosive offenses, it's, it's not going to be sort of like a dink and dunk down the field waiting for a fourth and one. So I think that for that reason, I would say that I seeing a, a low number of fourth down attempts is, is something that would be fairly plausible in this game. Uh, all right. Well, that doesn't leave me with a whole lot of wiggle room in terms of my guess. I guess I'll just take three. I'm not taking one and I'm definitely not taking six. So yeah, I, I think we could see some fun fourth down decisions. That's part of what makes stopping the Chiefs so difficult is essentially they're running a four down offense. I was looking at um, Andy Reid's play calling in the postseason since 2018. So since he's had Mahomes as a quarterback on fourth and I think less than seven in the playoffs. They've gone for it 10 times and they have punted or kicked a field goal nine times. So they are not afraid to run the offense out for four downs and it makes it very difficult to stop that offense when you can't just stop them three times, you got to stop them four times. So I'll go with three because that's the, the number that's left, but I wouldn't be surprised to see some fun decisions from, from Reed and hopefully Arians during the game. All right, now we've finally reached the end. The answer, the question for everyone now that we've all been waiting for. So I guess the final prediction for the game and if you guys could give us a score. So I'll, I'll say I'm going to take the Chiefs. It's hard to stop Patrick Mahomes. I'll take uh, Chiefs 37, Buccaneers 26. Uh, I'll also be taking the Chiefs. Scoring over the past few years has been significantly higher come postseason time than in the regular season. So I'll take the Chiefs and go over 34-27. Um, I'm always conflicted when picking scores about choosing scores that are likely to occur versus choosing scores that reflect the trajectory of the game that I expect to see. But I'll say uh, 33 Chiefs, 27 bucks. Damn, is that is that three and zero Chiefs so far? Yep. Yep. All right. Well, and I'm I'm a guy. I got to go with the Bucks, and this is not based on anything other than my gut. So sorry for that. But I'll take the Bucks. I think it's going to underwhelm some people scoring wise. And I have the Bucks winning 30 to 23. Interesting. Yeah. I think a majority of people out there are definitely taking the chiefs and I'm sure that's what the 
even though 538 has them close, 53, 47. But I think if you ask, if you surveyed 100 people, I think much more than 53 would take the Chiefs. But that's what makes it interesting. So I think that concludes our podcast. I think we did a pretty thorough deep dive into the NFC and AFC championship games and then previewing the Super Bowl. I think it's going to be an exciting, you know, historical matchup between possible GOAT QB and Tom Brady. You know, he built the dynasty in New England, and now it's just great to see him just switch conferences and get right back there with a brand new team. And then a potential GOAT QB in Patrick Mahomes, who's starting to kind of build this dynasty in Kansas City. So we hope you enjoyed this first episode. Uh, you can find Ella on her Twitter at ChexMatrix, C-H-E-X Matrix. Check out all of Danny's articles on the HSAC website. And follow Tucker's Twitter at Tucker underscore TNL. And check out his brand new database website at NFLindex.com. If you have any questions about the show or would like to get in contact, check out our website at HarvardSportsAnalysis.org or follow us on Twitter at Harvard underscore sports. Thank you again and enjoy Super Bowl 55. If you guys have anything to add, go ahead. Otherwise, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having us.